a very good day to you. Yes, I am plugged in oh. after my earlier crass mistake of being unplugged. Oh, I know you like to walk around permanently plugged. <laughs> you sound very well connected. <laughs> Very well connected. What indeed. did your daughter say about the podcast? It's shit. Um, <laughs> she, she, said, she said it sounds like you're permanently flirting with me. I love And that you're desperate. I love the way you put it that way around. You're just a total flirt all the time with everyone. Not at all. You're like Chris Pincher. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Chris Pincher was flirting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't sort of like grope people when I'm trying to flirt with them. At least not always. Unless you've spiked them. I'm, the thing that gets me though, apart from Chris Pincher, is this whole business about the prime minister supposedly, allegedly, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, getting a blowjob while he was in foreign secretary, foreign secretary in the foreign office. But I mean, I don't really understand the outrage. I mean, who hasn't had a blowjob at work? Me. Or given one. Or given one. <laughs> No. Oh, some people's work is blowjobs. Well, quite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're a sex worker. I mean, How about a sexy worker? Do you know any of those? <laughs> I don't. I, I can't name any. Welcome one and all. Welcome new people. What about a sexy school mum? You just shut all over my intro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> How about one who pissed for your refugee and you get all fucked off because they pushed in the queue? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but if they're um, if they're refugees, they maybe don't understand the British queuing protocol. Maybe in Ukraine yeah. you don't you don't have to queue when you arrive at school in your big gangster car. You just walk up to the front of the queue and that say, "My child, be, come here." That can be oh. jigsaw identified. I'm going to get beaten up, and it's all going to be your fault. Oh, we'll take it out then. That's fine. <laughs> jigsaw identified. <laughs> uh oh, jigsaw identification. Awuga, awuga. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get the jigsaw police. How's your bye week been? It's been great, actually. I've been to. Um, I went to a, a rail industry event in london on tuesday and i loved it it was great i think we should have some kind of to play it was it was a brilliant networking event i met lots of interesting people all male free booze um 95.999 percent of them are male it would actually be quite a good place to go as a woman instead of going internet dating you could just go to one of them because there'd be loads it'd be a massive cock fest that's true actually there would be a massive cock fest and actually i've got to say you know, most rail engineers are pretty senior, grown-up professionals who got who who earn a decent salary. So I think you know, Ooh. if you're a sort of um, when can I next attend? If you're a gold digger, <laughs> then you you'd be in there. <laughs> you can sort of twirl your hair and say, "Tell me about your sleepers and your track." I don't think wagons. any amount of money will get me to do that. <laughs> Tell me about your nuts and bolts. <laughs> Um, welcome to our podcast, new people, old there aren't people, any new people, friendly Are there new people? people, stupid people. <laughs> no, we're the stupid people. We are, of course, just two twits tittering at people's misfortune. That's the kind of person we are. Oh, actually, I did have some interaction about that because last week, last bye week, 
you know that you know it said we were sending people up and it was just an outrage that we were so disrespectful or something that oh, that yeah. criticism we heard well um i had one of our listeners saying i'd like to talk to you about being somebody who laughs at other people's like misdemeanors and and misfortune and stuff carry on <laughs> <laughs> so thanks very much for that. Yeah, that, who is that? That's great. That they didn't want their name included. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Well, in case they get hate mail from the people who hate us. Yeah, from me. It's like <laughs> stop pestering me. Well, there's only room for one sex pest in this podcast. <laughs> and that's everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, you've reached this. Uh, slightly different true crime podcast and that's what we're doing here and i'm victoria mitzi i'm half of the presentation team <laughs> i'm yep. a podcaster and a journalist and ben is only one of those things you are much more than half of the podcast team because not only well you're half of the presentation team like you said but you're about 100% of the production team. And the reason that I'm doing we're doing so well is that I'm 100% of the marketing team. Yeah. And 100% of the publicity team and 100% of the winning awards team. Oh, hang on a second. Oops. <gasps> don't we don't say that. We don't, don't mention we? that. <laughs> Fucking cunts. <laughs> I'm Ben Ando. I'm I used to be a BBC journalist when I was all serious and all that, and now I can just be my normal self, which is a, obviously a totally um, irreverent shit. Cantankerous. Um, and... Yeah, quite. Cantankerous old man. Grumpy old man, etc., etc. You must be grumpy. <laughs> and what have we got today then, Mr Grump? Fear and loathing in Cambridgeshire and Devon. Um, <laughs> can I do the... that with my face? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We've got um, a bit of Randy Andy, a bit of Full Monty, and a very, very sad story about the murder. Another child murder? I mean, these ch child murders are just so harrowing, aren't they? Little Logan Mwangi, also known as Logan Williamson. And I'd like to add that it's difficult listening. So if you're feeling a bit fragile today or you simply don't want to hear details of child abuse and violence then come back and listen another week or simply miss out the first part of this podcast so tell me the story about um logan mwangi five-year-old logan you can't have escaped this crime over the past since the sentencing of his mum who is, get, let me get this right, Ang Harrod Williamson, who's 31, and his stepfather, John Cole, who's 40, and a boy who lived with them, um, who'd only been living with them five days when Logan died, who is Craig Mulligan, and he's now 14. Um, but at the time he was arrested, he was 13. And um, they've all been convicted of murdering little Logan in July last year, whose body was found in the River Ogmore near his home in Sarn in Bridgend County. 
Mrs Justice Jefford told Cardiff Crown Court that the attack on the defenceless schoolboy who weighed three stone one pound, that's 20 kilograms, was nothing short of horrifying. And there are lots of documentaries, which you may well have seen, which have come out since the, the sentencing. And um, they all list the lies, the many different lies that the three told uh, the now 14-year-old boy who has been trying to cover up for John Cole, who he looked up to. John Cole fought to adopt him. So he was very much grateful, indebted, I suppose, that that he was being looked after. And then Ang Harrod, who lied to the police, they started blaming each other when they were being questioned. And uh, on went the trial. So... Mulligan, who is the 14-year-old boy who can now be publicly named for the first time after a judge lifted an anonymity order, is not the biological son of Cole, but he raised him from the age of nine months and considered him a father figure. Rejecting Williamson's version, so the mother's version of events that Cole and Mulligan attacked Logan two days before his body was found and that she'd run out of the house in an attempt to get help, Mrs Justice Jefford said, that was made up after the event to protect yourself and shift the blame. You had an opportunity to protect your son from the further injury and you did nothing. Whatever time the ferocious assault on Logan happened, he was for the most part of Friday injured or dying. So police found officers police officers found Logan partially submerged in the river in Pandy Park, just two hundred and fifty meters from his home. He was wearing his dinosaur pajama bottoms and a spider man top. His body was dumped and it's quoted like fly tipped rubbish, the prosecution said. During the trial, jurors heard how Logan was treated like a prisoner in the days before his death. On the 20th of July, Logan tested positive for COVID-19 and was shut in his bedroom for 10 days with a baby gate stopping him from leaving. Mrs Justice Jefford described this decision by the couple as extreme and said the treatment of him was the culmination of treatment that had dehumanised him. Logan's stammer is said to have worsened, becoming particularly bad around coal, the jury was told, and he wet himself more frequently and began self-harming. The jury were played extensive CCTV footage from nearby houses which showed, showed Cole and Mulligan at 2.43 BST on the 31st of July, moving Logan's body in a sports bag to the nearby river where they dumped it. It's just uh, horrific. I mean, yeah. you know... The evidence that the jury's the jury heard was just utterly traumatic. Um, the the horrid, horrid video of this ghastly woman putting on this show of how distraught she was because she yeah. thought her son had gone missing. Actually, Ben, let's play that. Should we play pathetic. it in? Yeah, because sure. I think it's I think it's really important in understanding what's gone on. Let's play it. I'm done. Why am I getting arrested? Do you want to have the same thing with me, Harvey? Defence. If you do not mention one question. Something which you later rely on court. What? I just found out what I said. It's best to drop under Tell me now what happened to my son. Have you had my time to play in the bath? I'll do it now. I've got your seatbelt on, okay? We need to help find out what happened to Logan. I've just lost my son in this. It's tearing my heart apart. So hearing that and hearing knowing it's just all just bullshit appalling. and lies is just disgusting. It is. I think the, there are two aspects of this that really got me, though. One of them was um, what one of the jurors said afterwards, which we'll come on to in a minute. But one of them was um, the victim impact statement of the um, of uh, 
Logan's father, Ben Wangi. And he obviously, you know, you will know that victim impact statements are part of the modern court process. They're read out in court after the jury gives its verdict, but before sentencing. And they help that the, the point of them is to help the judge put into context what the impact of this crime has been on those victims so that when sentence is passed, it can properly reflect that. And he, he Ben Wangi wept as his statement was read out in the court. In it, he says that when he was told of his son's death, he was at work and he said, I recalled collapsing and hitting my head. I just felt like every fiber in my body had died and I couldn't stop crying. And then the other thing that was particularly heartbreaking was he says he, he experiences recurring nightmare, uh, nightmares and can't sleep now. He says, I have dreams of Logan that are so vivid. Logan comes to tell me that he's okay and to check if I'm okay. He runs into my arms. I hold him tight, but then he slowly disappears until he's no longer in my, arm, my arms. I wake up screaming and crying. I mean, that's just so horrid, isn't it? Imagine yeah. that. You have the dream and he's back and he's, oh, yeah, and then he just fades away and you realise it's... But he also comes across as a really, despite the fact that Williamson seems like, and Cole seem like such scumbags, um, Ben Wangi comes across as a really nice guy, which makes it even worse that, you know, contact was cut off from his little boy, who is also, you know, and what we've seen of him, I think, you know, he's he's a little cheeky chappy, and he's only five. Described by his um, teachers in the school at Tondu Primary School, he attended as a loving, sweet-natured child, always polite, articulate at all times, always smiling, having the, described by his teachers, having the kind of smile that could light up a classroom. He was highly inquisitive enjoyed his lessons, particularly when using the outdoor classroom, loved playing with his classmates. Just so, so sad, desperately sad. Um, and one other thing that I sort of touched on a second ago, but I want to come back to is um, we don't normally hear, and we've talked about this before, we don't normally hear about jurors because jurors are told they shouldn't discuss aspects of the case and of their deliberations with anybody. What goes on in the jury room is one of the sort of few, if you like, sacred um unpenetrable places that we still have but one juror gave an gave an interview after the um the case and said that she was so traumatized by the evidence she suffered recurring nightmares and was signed off work for more than a month and the trial was paused for several times when this juror and other jurors found the evidence too distressing now it, it does generate an interesting debate which is you know yes you know, we want people to be tried by a jury of their peers. But are there going to be cases where simply taking part in a jury and being exposed to the sort of thing that unless you're really interested in true, true crime, you probably wouldn't necessarily um, come across. But also having, because you're on the jury, a key part of those proceedings and knowing that you are you have become part of the whole story there from the actual crime itself through to the court case, through to the conviction and the aftermath and the sentencing, does that have an impact on people such that they need to be, I don't know, they need some kind of safeguarding, they need some kind of care beyond just simply being thanked by the judge at the end of the trial, and in some cases, after a long or particularly traumatic trial, being told they're excused from jury service in the future? Actually, I think the woman was a psychologist or, psych you know, she was in that kind of game as well, and she was affected by it. Who's that, sorry? The woman who, the juror. Yeah, exactly. Now, now, the law is clear. 
Nobody can speak to jurors about how they reached their verdict, how, for example, they voted, or any of the discussions or opinions that were expressed in the jury room. That has to stay sacrosanct. But jurors can give evidence about what happened in the courtroom, as in what happened in front of everybody, you know, in, in, in public court proceedings. And and that's and she says, uh, this, this woman who's a psychologist, she said she decided to share her experience because she wants to see change. She said the hardest evidence she heard was from a paediatrician who described how Logan's final hours would have been, bearing in mind, of course, because it happened in the family home and the only people in the home with him were his three killers. It's hard to actually, we can't trust what they say. Uh, it's hard to really know exactly what happened. And she said um, she would never forget, for example, the body cam footage that showed the moment the body was found. Uh, these are these are sort of lots of footage, of course, we shown during the trial that won't for, for either reasons of taste or because it isn't released or because of a judge's order won't be shown in the coverage um, afterwards that you'd see in the press and on the on the media. So, you know, it's 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 really interesting to hear a juror speaking out in this way. This case completely took over my life. I felt my normal life was completely hijacked. You know, even during the case, you know, she would be thinking to herself, I don't want to go back in. I know I've got my duty to go into court and listen to this evidence and, and do my duty as a juror, but I don't want to go in there. And she'd be sitting in the car, not wanting to get out of the car every morning. She goes on to say she thinks that the courts in general are very neglectful in their duty of care to jurors. She said there was no su professional support available. Uh, the court service advised jurors to talk to the Samaritans, which she did, but of course she wasn't able to talk about the case. So it became a very short conversation. Now the difficulty is of course that, it, you know, if we say that what goes on in the jury room has to remain private, then to some extent that's, it's inevitable that most people, that, that you won't be able to sort of depressurize it later. You, you are going to have to live with it. And maybe that's what happens in a, you know, a functioning adult society where sometimes there are bad things that happen. You just have to live with them and understand them. And, and just all you can do is do your duty as a juror to reach a fair verdict. I didn't add in the case description about the injuries. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry to people to have to listen to this. But again, I think it's a really important part of the evidence that that Logan had 56 catastrophic injuries, including extensive bruising to the back of his head and tears in his liver and bowel, which experts said were so severe that they were consistent with those seen in road traffic accidents. They oh said God. the injuries could only have been caused by a brutal and sustained assault inflicted on Logan in the hours or days prior to his death, adding they were consistent with child abuse. Oh, just horrible, isn't it? Absolutely horrid. Well, I think what's important in, the, in that is that it there was no accident, you know, and the, that's when the lies started unravelling from the CCTV of them carrying the body and the injuries to the body. It, I just don't understand how these people are so not just thick, but evil too, that they just thought, well, who were they trying to fool? Why didn't they just turn around and hold that? Well, it's because they're scumbags, isn't it? Yeah, totally, totally scumbags. Have you seen the man? What, Cole? Yeah. Yeah, I have seen photos of him, yeah. He's just, you know when you see quite a lot of criminals? Is this really awful to say on a true crime podcast? But they've got something, either they've got like mean Bundy, oh, by the way, I don't fancy Ted Bundy, um, Bundy-esque <laughs> like crazed eyes, but the other lot have got like kind of sleepy, half-closed eyes, like they don't know what's going on. 
Yeah, that's I mean, what I coal think that's has. Certainly the case in this in this instance, isn't it? There are some killers who are clearly very intelligent, very smart, but I suspect that this is much more a case of just nasty, evil, stupid people doing nasty, evil, stupid people stuff. But what I don't understand is that, and this is a very basic thing that I think I've said before, if somebody is so much smaller, what this the, he was taking out other stuff, like he thought that she was having an affair, that he also was racist, apparently, and he was taking that out on the little boy. But, you know, you've got to be really dim if you can't differentiate that from the fact that this is d- a defenceless child, whatever your yeah. views are. I mean, the glaring thing is, didn't this woman defend her own son? It goes beyond any kind of understanding. Yeah. Any Any normal parent would well, do everything why... they could to protect their child. Well, that's and why I was she... in two minds about doing this, because it comes down to an essential failure of, you know, child protection as well, who they discharged the case, I think it was a few days or weeks before he died. I mean, the whole thing is just a travesty. It is. Agreed. Um, I just wanted to pick up on one point. The 14-year-old an anonymity, how come that was lifted? This is your specialism. Yeah, so, I mean, any young person is guaranteed anonymity in court cases, um, whatever they're about, whatever their role in the court case is, whether they're a witness or whether they're the accused, they are guaranteed anonymity, and that is that. However, um, after they have been convicted, um, if somebody wants to apply for that anonymity to be lifted, they can do it. And what happened here was the BBC, uh, News UK, Associated Newspapers, who own the Daily Mail, and a couple of other news organisations, including ITN, put in a joint application to the judge to challenge that restriction. And they explained why they thought the restriction should be lifted. And primarily, uh, that was because um, as far as the public is concerned, bearing in mind the whole point of our court system is that justice should be open, um, there would be a significant gap in any understanding of the case if the boy wasn't named. And the judge thought about it, and she decided that that was right, um, she ruled in favour of the press and allowed, once the conviction um, was was uh, was recorded, that um, he could be named. Obviously, he wouldn't be named at any point during the trial because there's still the chance then that he could be found not guilty. Um, but once he was convicted, um, alongside Cole and um, Williamson... But the also, judge... was the conviction possible because he was 14? I mean, he's a child... Yeah, but yeah, but a child could still be uh, above the age of criminal responsibility. I mean, look at um, uh, the killers of James Bolger. Yeah, but and they were only they were ten at the time, weren't I they? I mean, is there not a human rights argument that they are also victims of the situation? Yes, quite possibly. Which is why the assumption is that the uh, identity will not be released, and it's only after all the evidence is heard, the judge has had, a, you know, all the information that an application is put in by the um well the applicants in this case various um, journalist organizations press organizations and media organizations um requesting that the um uh the ban on identifying this person be lifted explaining why and making the case for uh, it being um, for the um, benefits of the administration of justice that the case that the identity is revealed and what happened there was that um, I'm sure that um, Mulligan's lawyers will have argued against it and the judge will then have to make a decision. And that's what judges do. They sometimes have to make decisions based on, you know, counter arguments presented to them in court. Well, it's a bit of a 
it's sentencing the boy literally because he won't really have a chance, will he? He was on the wrong path already. So let's hope that he gets the help that he needs now. The only thing that might happen is, we, uh, we, as with what happened with Maxine Carr and with John Venables, uh, it might possibly be that when he is released from prison, because he's been sentenced to 15 years, he'll probably serve man seven or eight years, depending on how good he is. Um, when he is released from prison, he may be given a new identity so he can start a new life. Well, sometimes your past catches up with you then, doesn't it? Yeah, so I mean, so Thompson and Venables were both given new identities, but of course, um, I think Venables then subsequently reoffended and um, was caught accessing child pornography. So he ended up being recalled to prison for a period. I think he may have breached some other conditions as well. Possibly, yeah. You look very intelligent with your glasses just offset to the side. Are you trying to make yourself look like a dimwit like that bloke? <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> some might say I was succeeding quite well because I've got some quite good raw material to work do with. You know, do you know what? With this misty screen, when you turn your head to the side, the side of your glasses disappears. So you've what got about like my nose? Float- does that get smaller? It does. You've got floating oh, wow. glasses. Show me your nose. See if that gets smaller. Come on, turn your head to the side. No, all the way. Come on. Oh, it does get a bit smaller. It so takes does yours. Off. Yeah, it's, it's no longer touching your chin. Oh, shut up, Concord. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, come on, let's move on, because this one's just too sad. Okay. Something much more jolly. Pervy MPs. Christopher Pincher, doesn't he like to? <laughs> what? He likes you, you better when you're asleep and he's very drunk. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here now? I, I think our American friends who, can I just say, thank you for listening, as ever, our second group of listeners, UK Trumps Everything, has changed to Australia. <laughs> so, good day down under. No. <laughs> nice to have you with us, Bruce and Sheila. <laughs> Our overseas listeners, of which you are plentiful. Go on, tell me more. The countries that listen... Hang on, let me get my thingy bob up. Um, just so splendiferously diverse. Are, are they so diverse that we need to start wearing badges with our pronouns on? <laughs> what would yours say? <laughs> it it mine would say it too <laughs> it's 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 him from there and they say where's there it's me from nowhere you idiot it's him 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 his, him's him here's here there's there them's they we's us <laughs> i got into a twitter spat with somebody on pronouns because oh. oh, they great. were there's this halifax of, of putting pronouns on their oh, yeah, yeah. staff badges now i overlooked so that some, story for the podcast i mean and i don't see why there's a problem if, if you know they're, they're there to look after your money they're a bank or you know they, they're not it doesn't really matter to you if they do it or not do it and this guy on twitter had got very pompous about it and was saying well if they're going to start being that woke i'm going to withdraw all my money and close my account and so i just said well i'm sure they don't really give a shit you know so what if you yeah. withdraw your paltry few quid <laughs> You know, just because you put a few quid into a company doesn't give you any kind of right to tell them how to run their company. And if you don't like it, then you can withdraw your money and no longer use the company. 
and it, and it got very yeah but the customer is always right and this kind of stuff but no it's not the customer isn't always right the customer could be any, a stupid oaf <laughs> and they likely it likely is because i me it is a customer of halifax oh are you i didn't yeah. know that yeah They've been all right. Oh, no, they really cocked up on some fraud, but they've been all right. Okay, can I just say, I found the countries, right. Second is Australia. Good day. Third, United States. Denmark, Canada. Give us a shout from all these places, everyone. You didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com. We've lost, we've currently lost the password to the (laughs) Gmail. But when we find it, we'll hear from you. Israel, Germany, Hong Kong. Okay. Hong Kong is one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh country. Hundred. He said one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I interjected very quickly. Hundred. Seven hundred. So. New Zealand, Philippines, Romania, Norway, Netherlands, Greece, Belgium, Chile. Okay. Egypt, France. When did people start calling Chile Chile anyway? I don't know. I know what it was. It was when those miners were stuck down that pit, wasn't it? That wasn't very fun, eh? No, but Pete, they were in the Chile was in the news. I think somebody somewhere suddenly heard Chilean people got sent over there. Heard Chilean people talk about Chile. 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 I started pronouncing it that way, and of course, everybody jumped on the, the Chile bandwagon. Saudi Arabia. Seriously, if you're Are you allowed to? Hang on, sorry. If you're in Saudi Arabia, are you even allowed to listen to us? Yeah, big shout out to all the cocksuckers in Saudi. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I thought Saudi is like, you know, listening to sort of this kind of filth is, is you know, you should be getting your head chopped. How about Pakistan that. and Malaysia, where we also have listeners? Big shout out to you guys. Yeah. I hope you understand. Maybe they think we're not as irreverent as we actually are because they're. What are you saying they don't understand? <laughs> maybe they maybe I they think, think they we're I think actually. Totally, I think they love it. Well, actually, everyone, can you let us know if you actually think we're a normal true crime podcast and we're not shit as we are? <laughs> punters in Kuala Lumpur. And then there's unknown. Five point three five percent is unknown. Don't know where unknown <laughs> is. Up a tree in my garden. It just doesn't. It just mean they're browsing from a sort of a a, a computer where they've hidden their location. The dark web. God, old woman doesn't understand computers and the internet. <laughs> you're still on the worldwide. You're still on the worldwide web. By the information superhighway. Who would you be referring to there with old woman? <laughs> old crone. May I be of some assistance? I'm embracing the crone. Embracing the crone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone. Here's the story in a nutshell. He, Chris Pincher, who's a, a a UK MP just uh, got really drunk at a party and groped lots of young men. Was it young men? Sounds a bit rude. Yep. Yeah. Is that it, Ben, or is there anything to add? Well, he was. I mean, he he was. He's more than just an MP. He was the deputy chief whip of the the Conservative parliamentary party. So he was quite. Uh, I mean, this is what gets me. All these senior conservatives, I just never even heard of them. I mean, who the fuck is yeah. Chris Pincher? I'd never heard of the cunt. He's an elected representative for the good citizens of Tamworth. Of Tamworth. Okay, where's Tamworth? Is, is it in Staffordshire, Tamworth? It's like um, just kind of, if you're in the middle of Birmingham and you walk due east and then take about 10 steps north, I think you get to it. The okay. only reason I'd heard of Tamworth before was for two reasons. First of all, many years ago, it was the ancient seat of a Saxon king. And secondly, because about 20 years ago, there were two pigs that escaped, the Tamworth Two. 
and there was a brief sort of flurry of interest among the media of, of you know when these pigs would be recaptured and presumably slaughtered and made into bacon. Oh, that's brilliant! I love those kind of stories. Yeah, it's much better. So Pincher, you know, was he had been seen very, very drunk. <laughs> I was very, very <laughs> drunk at the Conservative Party Members Club in London called the Carlton Club, and supposedly in that when he was there he was but this is this reminds me of that that thing on little britain where you have a conservative mp standing outside his house saying at some point i inadvertently fell over and found myself in very close contact with <laughs> two gentlemen one of whom was immediately in front of me and one of whom was immediately behind me and my penis accidentally <laughs> slipped into his anus <laughs> it's almost as bad as that 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 but sounds he... like quite a well-polished story ando <laughs> But this also calls into question the Prime Minister's judgment because um, after after Pincher resigned as Deputy Chief Whip on Thursday, Number 10 initially suggested that the Prime Minister considered the matter closed. I now consider the matter closed. (laughs) Okay, what is it? I consider the matter closed. It's time to move on. We hear it again and again, don't we? I wonder why that matter was closed. But it never is time to move on and people always carry on with it. So... Mm -hmm. Johnson resisted, oh, sorry, Mr. Johnson resisted calls from senior Tory MPs and opposition parties to suspend Pincher, but then did so after he was reported to Parliament's behavioural watchdog. So, again, this makes the Prime Minister look weak and lacking in judgment that he had to be basically dragged kicking and screaming into doing it. It's just, oh, he, oh my yeah. God, Mr. Pincher. Oh, he's got form. He's got form. Why? Mr. Pincher had previously stood down from the Whip's office in 2017 when he was accused of making an unwanted pass at former Olympic rower and conservative activist Alex Story. But after an investigation, he was cleared of any breach of its code of conduct. And, and presumably that was the matter at which it was the, <laughs> that was the point at which the matter was considered closed. At least there's someone more shameful and naff than us. That's true, yeah. Yes, it's a, it's always good to be able to sort of punch down, isn't it? And then, of course, you've got the pri- the, the story rumbling around that was in private eye about the Prime Minister getting a blowjob when he was Foreign Secretary. Yes, I quite like you... Mistress. I quite like you um, pink oboe whistleblowing. Does that <laughs> work? Whistleblowing. On that one, because I hadn't heard of it. The Foreign Office fellating. <laughs> Fellatio gate. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, to cap it all, nothing to do with politics, you've got a guy from the Full Monty film back in the 90s, you know, the guy about the film about male strippers. In sort of like jobless guys in Sheffield whose steel plant has closed down, become like a troop of male strippers. To, and it's, quite a, it's quite a heartwarming story. Anyway, one of the actors in the original film is a guy called Hugo Spear. A few months ago, Disney announced it was rebooting the show in a sort of like a mini-series to tell the story of what happened to all the guys in the ensuing sort of 20 years, which is quite a nice idea. I can see the you know, interest. It's got people like from the original film in it, like um, uh, Robert Carlyle, for example, uh, Mark Addy, uh, and so on. Anyway. You like the fact guy... that it's called the Full Monty Reboot. Yeah, quite <laughs> the full Monty, the full Monty, Mon- the full Monty, full Monty. Um, so this guy Hugo Spear has been axed from it after allegedly inviting a woman into his trailer while naked. So apparently, she knocked on his door. He opened it, stark bollock naked, oh my God. and then beckoned her to come in. Now she immediately reported him. Sounds like you behaviour, Ben. <laughs> he says, 
He's, he, he said when he gave evidence to producers, all actors walk around their trailer stark bollock naked. And he said that his towel slipped from his waist when he opened the door to the woman runner. <laughs> this story's getting better. <laughs> but she says, there was no sign of anything to hide his modesty. And he apparently fully exposed himself to the girl before beckoning her inside. The woman was horrified and did not consider entering his trailer for a second. Oh, here's the line. No Spear. Reporting his behaviour. Boy, did he ever misjudge the mood. Spear, 54, who is married, has denied the claims. But the thing is, the joke is here, of course, this is a film about male strippers. This is a film in which he is one of the male strippers about men you know, taking their clothes off. <laughs> and it just seems somewhat ironic that he obviously, maybe he was method acting or something. Oh, I, I wish you would cho- have chosen somebody a bit more up for it than a runner on the film. Well, he, Or yeah. movie, as you might say. <laughs> he chose poorly, didn't he? Do you know what we forgot? We forgot Randy we Andy. Oh, Randy Andy. Can we move to him? Because this was a, a story that I thought was rather heartwarming as well. The pork of shame. Duke of shame. Prince Andrew's aides thought he was wonderful on Newsnight as, a new pa- as new painful details emerge from car crash interview. Okay, if, for, for our friends overseas... What did I say? Stateside. I said stateside and you went stateside. Stateside. <laughs> that was he saying capital, wasn't it? Capital offence. Was it? My old friend Simon Viger. Stateside. <laughs> well, um, this programme is a BBC news, what would you say, like a flagship programme, news programme. And um, Emily Maitlis, just, he just looked like such a knob. But apparently all the prince's lackeys thought he was really amazing. And even he, apparently he took them on a tour. He took the BBC on a tour around the palace going, yeah, didn't that go well? Come and have a look at my vineyard or whatever he had there. Um, but this is hilarious because... It was in it's, 2019. It's, so, the, so after this interview, the producer says... Um, how do you think it went? Clearly, having watched the car crash that we all went on to see. And yet, you know, the prince's people were all, oh, wasn't he wonderful? Wasn't it fabulous? And and this producer says, then it hit me. He actually thought it had gone well. He was in such a good mood. He offered us all a tour of the palace. I couldn't go. But of course, Emily couldn't decline. I don't know how she kept her ex- composure. So they're sort of all standing around, all the BBC people doing this interview, thinking, oh, my God, probably pissing themselves with laughter as the Duke digs a bigger and bigger hole for himself. Actually, have a, he's have too a, stupid to see it. You've got to have a listen to this. If you don't know it, you've got to listen, because it was actually, I'm not really into all this kind of shaming stuff, but with him, it's worth it. Have a listen. These are one of the, this is one of the best moments. I didn't sweat at the time because I um, ha- had suffered what I would describe as an overdose of adrenaline in the Falklands War when I was shot at. Uh, and I simply, it, it, was, it, was, it was almost impossible for me to, to, to sweat. You actually said that, didn't you, Ando? It was another YDLMF first, that he was surrounded by so many people, arsewipes, arsewipes, that yeah. he, he had no clue. Because he said that he didn't know who she was. There were people coming in and out of the palace all the time, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think the thing is, though, I mean, because he's, he's coughed up 
12 million already to shut uh, Virginia Jeffrey up, hasn't he? But that was back in February. Virginia's but, I mean, Virginia. I don't think this is going to end here. I think he, there's going to be lawyers coming after him, <laughs> even though he's, you know, coughed up this cash to her. I suspect that, you know, the, the lawyers are just not going to give up now. This is just a cash cow for them. Mm. And it's just going to go on and on and on. And, well, you know, the Queen has deep coffers. I don't actually know who's paying Andrew's. Um, well, it's not uh, him because him and Fergie, Fergie bled him dry, didn't she? Isn't that what Vicky Ward told us? Yeah. Fergie was a spender. A spender. <laughs> hey, big spender. Yeah, so that was good. All his sweaty Pizza Express birthday parties. No, the point was he was non-sweaty. Non-sweaty Pizza Express, sorry. I'll tell you what, for a man who can't sweat, I bet he's sweating now. I don't know, he's probably still sitting there going, bloody, I'm bloody right. They all love me, yeah. I mean, if if there is a criminal investigation following these allegations, or or more criminal investigations, obviously Jizzy Jizz has now been sentenced to uh, 20 years, you know, and if if, um, Andrew is named, then in theory... Um, our our new best friends, the United States, are going to want him extradited there to um to face court. That would be marvelous. I mean, goodness to me, to prove I mean, that he you know, can sweat. Ever since they've got independence in 1776, I think they've been itching to put somebody from the British royal family on trial. This could be their big chance. <laughs> not that you're keeping an eye on those affairs. Oh no, I mean, not that anybody <laughs> is still festering over what happened in 1776. Levi Belfield. An yes. old friend of the podcast. I'd, I'd quite like to follow up on Belfield because there's been quite a lot. Indeed, some noise from his corner in terms of a girl that he knew who they never found anyone who was guilty of her murder, but she happened to be friends with Levi Belfield. So there's that. And then there's Chillenden as well, which we have covered the murders of Lynn and Megan Russell and the attempted murder of Josie Russell in Chillenden in Kent. I think that all goes quite nicely because Colin Sutton was the... Was he SIO? Yeah, he was the SIO. um, Yeah, Colin was the the SIO in the... um, No, in Millie Dowler. Oh, was no, he? Okay. No, Emily, no, you're right, Delagrange. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. you covered that, didn't you? Yes, yes. Okay. And, um, yeah, I just thought the whole thing together now with, with sort of various noises from that corner, let's, let us know if you're interested in that. Um, we have got, we've got more than enough to work on, really. We've got some things in the pipeline as well. Did you hear the um, ice cream van? Oh, was it, it the, green sleeves was it the ice cream van? I didn't know what the noise yeah. was. I thought it was your phone going. Oh, no, I'm not that stupid. No, just no, like the no. old days. Yeah. Of two years ring, ago. Ding, 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 ding. Is it still green sleeves? Yeah, but this one was a bit different. I'm not going to go and get an ice cream from him. He's not. If he's not playing green sleeves, I'm not getting a 99. I love the way that you actually consider it. You're really quite seriously considering that 99. Yeah, I am. I mean, obviously, we'd have to bring the podcast to an end so I can go out there. <laughs> With my two pound fifty clutched hotly no, in my hand. I want you to do it Radio Four style. Take a recorder with you. Oh, that's a thing. You know how they sort of like kind um, they trap politicians by saying how much is a pint of milk, and mm. the politician doesn't know mm. how much is a ninety nine. Mitz doesn't buy ninety nines. So you don't know how much a ninety nine costs. I've I have bought one for my daughter. Yeah. So I don't know how much it costs though. I was just oh, there like, you go. How you see, you'd be a terrible politician. You'd be you'd be mocked and humiliated for not knowing how much ninety nine costs. Well, 
I only surrender money for Willie's these days. Willie's is a brand of ice cream which causes much mirth here. It's Devon made ice cream and it's is like, oh, I love licking Willie's. Oh, Willie's is my favourite. Is there a Willie's there? Yummy. When you, what, is, what sort of form does this ice cream take? Is it a soft scoop or is it something no, different? It's, it's is very, it a lolly? It's creamy, not homemade, creamy Devon made ice cream with clotted cream. Yeah, but is it in the form of a lolly or in the form of like a cone? No, a cone. Cone. I say you don't sort of suck the willy. No, I lick the willy. Sounds okay, a bit that's rude. Nice. That's lovely. <laughs> and hang on, is is it willies that you got for your party when you tried to cheap out on the ice cream at the party? Didn't do ice cream at the party. Oh no, fruit shoots, wasn't it? You cheaped out on the fruit <gasps> shoots. Oh bastard! You let everyone know. I'm definitely going to cut this bit out. <laughs> You'll have just about scraped your way out of debt in time for next year's party, which will be even more expensive because you're a year older and more demanding. No more party. No more party. (laughs) No, no, no. Anyway, should we say goodbye? Yep. Oh, that reminds me. I had a lovely curry last night. A lovely curry? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm quite jealous of that. All I had was pizza. Lovely. I'd love a curry. Did you? I might go and get curry tonight. Curry was Mm. good. Yeah, but you feel like, why did I do that afterwards? Oh, you've had the squirts all day. No, you just feel greasy and you've had too much to eat. <laughs> I've been shitting over nine hedges and splashing the tenth. <laughs> I do cartwheels of joy every time I say, and that's it for another bye week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now I bye can everyone. do like acrobatics and stuff. Bye no, everyone. I can't.